Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I unpack actionable and hopefully valuable advice with the end goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. I'm getting pretty good at saying that. This is like my, how many episodes are we in? We're like 35, and I wrote that thing on a whim. You know what it's all about here. My guest today is Kevin Rose. I love Kevin Rose. Kevin Rose, if you've been on the internet for a long time, which I'm guessing most of you have, then you were familiar with a site called Dig, D-I-G-G.com. That was the first site that was, it's basically a crowdsource. The crowd said what they loved, upvoting, downvoting. And this was, I mean, so long ago, it exploded my brain and actually gave me the first view into what was possible with a community, a community-driven anything. And that's not all Kevin. Kevin is a serial entrepreneur. In fact, he's right now the CEO of what I think is the coolest, most amazing community around a community and and it's a it's a company around wristwatches Obs- like people who obsess over the hottest sexiest wristwatch I had no idea this community was so massive that site is called Hodinky um, before Dig he found the Revision Three which is one of the first short form video like people to to make a video magazine Revision Three um, very very core mainstay especially in Silicon Valley and he's a general partner for a few years at Google Ventures. If you put those two things together, um, Ventures is like venture capital and Google's, those guys have a lot of money. (laughs) So Kevin has been around the entrepreneurial, what would that be? Around the entrepreneurial roller coaster? No, he's just, he is, he is a serial entrepreneur himself and he's been around so many companies, thousands and thousands. You know, he gets to put his eyes and ears and even fingers into the pot of these, these emerging companies that Google funds. Um, it's an amazing perspective. He actually, I don't know if this is a disclosure, but Google Ventures is an investor in Creative Live. I got to know Kevin through Tim Ferriss a long time ago. Um, and then uh, lo and behold, he did end up investing in Creative Live, which that process was really exciting to get to work with Kevin so closely. He's also on the advisory board now because he's no longer like a formal investor. He's on an advisory board for them because he's focused on Hodinkee. And he's also on the board of the Tony Hawk Foundation. So for those of you action sports uh, geeks out there, and importantly, Harlan Estates. And if you don't know anything about Harlan Estates, Harlan Estates, this is a quote from Robert Parker, who's the biggest like wine guru nerd of all time. Harlan Estates might be the single most profound red wine made in not just in California, but in the world, end quote. So Kevin is an advisor there too. Uh, Just a few things about Kevin's backstory. In this episode, speaking of backstory, we talked about this really cool path, what I thought was a path from how do you be an investor for Google and then end up running a wristwatch uh, community company? To me, that was a massive departure, but it underscores one of the things that I believe deeply in, which is scratching your own itch. Turns out Kevin is obsessive about watches. I learned a lot, not just on the air, but before and after we were uh, recording the, the episode. It was super fun. And let's see, what else did we talk about? Oh, gosh. We talked about uh, basically his habits. I love talking about habits uh, on my show with my guests and uh, Kevin's personal habits, many of which you will love. He's into something that I'm into, which is 
cold baths. Kevin talks about how that upped his game. He learned from a, an amazing man named Wim Hof. We discussed meditation and a lot of the goodness behind uh, certain dietary habits, including intermittent fasting. Gosh, we talked about finding inspiration outside your day job and... He learned a lot at Google. Like I really, so for, for all of you who are listening to this podcast, um, who are, are not just um, visual artists, but you aim to make a business or a living and a life out of what you, out of your work. He really helped me understand as a, an advisor to Creative Live, but also in our discussion around the common pitfalls for, for we creative entrepreneurs, uh, especially around folks trying to go from zero to one. Like you're not, you don't, you haven't historically aligned as I am a creative entrepreneur. So you need to go from zero to one. Uh, we talk a lot about that. Overall, I love this episode um, and I know you will too. But before we get into it, a quick note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a, a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and the design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. 
So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now let's get into the show. All right, welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Super good to have you on the show. Um, we have been in the same same friend circle for a long time. Uh, you actually made an investment into Creative Live when you were a partner at Google Ventures. That's right. Thank you very much. Now you're onto something bigger and better. Dare we say? I'm all over the place. You are. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, I, I, Kev, Kevin moved to New York. What? what? This has kind of been my career, though. I've bounced around and, and done a bunch of different things. I find that my brain is always one that wants to try new things every like six months. Most of the time I just like shelve stuff and other times I go and try something, it blows up. Other times it works out. It's, it's all over the place. Okay, so Hodinkee, I, I want to go right at it. Yeah. I figured out how to pronounce it and it was exactly what I thought. Took so, you a little while before yeah. we got going here. <laughs> I had to say it like five times off camera first. But um, I'm also, I'm in no way, shape or form a connoisseur. I appreciate fine watches, but why don't you tell me and by extension the people at home, what is you're doing right now? You're CEO of Hodinkee and what is Hodinkee? It was kind of a weird move, no doubt, but um, honestly it was one that I kind of fell into by chance. Uh, my, my father passed away and left me with a watch and I know you were talking about your grandfather yes. having some watches, yep. things like that. I think that's typically how a younger generation kind of acquires these things. Um, I had a watch that he left me and obviously cherished, something that I wanted to hold on to for a very long time. Sort of kind of slowly researching things, reading about watches, and got the bug. I created an app for the App Store just out of, uh, just for fun, just to see what would happen, that kind of pulled together all the different watch news from around the web in a really clean, consistent view, um, very readable. If you were uh, reading these sites on mobile, a lot of them didn't even have like modern style sheets, so they weren't presentable for a mobile audience. You had to do a lot of kind of pinching and zooming. So I fixed all that. And lo and behold, it kind of just blew up. It took off. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people downloaded the app. It had five-star reviews. It was like done, has done really well. And then I was like, wow, there's actually a business here. And on top of that, there's the people that, that are curious about uh, collecting watches, but then there are the really hardcore kind of luxury enthusiasts. And so it's a very kind of monetizable, lucrative market to get into. Yeah, it's, it's an opportunity, because it, it's my understanding of it is it's very sort of a unaggregated b it's not it's 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 about older like manual timepieces not really doesn't have a technology angle to it is that fair to say or? no that's true and I, I think that one of the things that we looked at when i was at google ventures were these verticals these spaces where not a whole lot of attention had been or technology had been applied to yet so you know there's so many entrepreneurs going after what is the next snapchat or what is the next instagram not so many people looking <laughs> to take over the luxury kind of watch space. So, you know, it, it was just an experiment. It was something that I had built in a couple weekends. I launched it and it was clear by the uptake and the retention in the app that it was, we were kind of onto something. Yeah, there's there, there. Right, exactly. And so took that app, merged it with Hodinkee, which had been around, which was the number one kind of largest online news site for um, luxury watch news. 
we merged companies, and now I'm out here in New York. We've got a small staff of 14 people, and we're size. just having have perfect size, yeah. just having a lot of fun. You can walk in, you can see everybody in one you know room. everybody's name, yeah. we're all on the same page, it's, yeah. it's great. Awesome, so uh, New York, you've been in uh, Silicon Valley as long as, I, and you had a little stint in LA, I think. Yeah, that's um, right. Around the TV stuff, but how's New York? Yeah, New York's a definitely, there's only a handful of places that, that I really enjoy in, in the States as far as like wanting, wanting yeah. to call home. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of places I visit, but I think that like New York, uh, you know, Portland, San Francisco, uh, Austin, LA, all great hubs, Chicago, like places that I could see myself living one day. Uh -huh. And so, you know, you come out here, you get hooked on the pizza and the nightlife, <laughs> and it's just like, it's game over. It's impossible to go to bed at a decent hour. It's in impossible. City, it's impossible. It's really it's tough. So many, you know, friends that are within, uh, oh yeah, I'm just around the corner, or there's always something happening. I love that about New York, but I could see I'd be A, bad on your liver, C, bad on your, wait, A to C? A, bad on your it, liver, B, bad on your, uh, your sleep. I think you had a little too much of A in that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been a rough couple of days. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's easy to get hooked on this, this kind of culture out here. All of the, the luxury uh, conglomerates are out here, and so all the brands that we work with are you know, within a, a stone's throw away. So yeah. it just made sense to be out here. Awesome. So uh, one of the things that I like to get on early here in this series of interviews, and in particular with you, the the folks that are watching on the other end of this camera here, or these cameras rather, uh, they identify as creative, entrepreneurial, freelancey, and or want to be, want to lean more into that. There's all kinds of data that says something like, by the year 2020, I think something like 40% of the working age folks in the United States are gonna have a side gig. So there's a lot of sort of side gig, want to do something. They're already in it and doing it and loving it and thriving. Oh, that's been my um, life. This is great. Yeah, and, and, and so your journey, one of the reasons I, I had to have you as a part of this series is because you have done so many different things. Television, tech, now fine, uh, fine timepieces. Are you pursuing your interests? What is what's your sort of guiding principle? Um, just give us a little bit of backstory and how that you ended, you ended up here. Yeah, I think that, you know, when I first got started, I was into technology. So I was always kind of a technologist. I studied computer science in school. And I moved up to the Bay Area to kind of pursue that dream, obviously working for other people. Moved up as in you're from LA? Uh, no, I moved up. I was living in Las Vegas at the time. Okay. My family moved out there when I was young. Okay. And so I hate to claim it as like, it's not my home. I was born in California, mm -hmm. but it's, it was a place that my dad found work. So we lived out there for a while. Um, moved up, uh, lived in San Francisco, and at first was obviously just working for someone else. Yeah. And you kind of have to do that. That was kind of my way just to pay the bills. And I knew that the opportunity and the networking potential of the Bay Area was a thing. Yeah. And so to get up there and just kind of get into the coffee shop scene, start meeting fellow entrepreneurs, um, pull some inspiration from that, and then also figure out a way to eventually get into a company that I'd really enjoy working at or um, start my own thing. And so that was kind of the place to be for technologists. Um, for me, it ended up taking a somewhat different route. I got into television, took the lowest paying job that there was just to kind of get my foot in the door, and then um, eventually started playing around with and trying ideas on the side. And so I had that base salary to kind of get me through and, and cover the rent. And then I would carve off a little bit of savings to go and try new projects. So with Dig, 
it was taking pretty much um, my life savings, which at the time was $10,000, and investing that in the idea. And so at the time I didn't have um, really, I, I had studied computer science, but it had been a few years. And so to go back and to relearn all the syntax and everything else that's involved, it's just like, I didn't want to do that, sure. um, especially when you're working a full-time job. And so I hired a freelance uh, person to help me out on the coding side. I did the design myself. Um, I hired a friend that was really good with uh, HTML and CSS. Um, again, I could have done all those things, but it just made sense to kind of speed up the process. Sure. Um, and that you took your 10 grand. Took the 10 grand, uh, formed a, a little corporation around it. Didn't really know what I was doing, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to get this to a, a state where I can launch it and just see what happens. And so over the course of three months, built it out, really pissed off a girlfriend at the time because she wanted to use that money for a house deposit and like <laughs> had beer plans. Uh, we weren't aligned <laughs> in that front. And I, maybe that's why it didn't work out. Uh, but that was, that was what it took to launch that project. And then that really started to take off. And I tried, honestly though, I tried a couple other projects prior to that. Another little uh, shareware software application that I had built by a freelancer off of Elance out of Russia that I paid $1,000 for and was, I won't go into detail, it was a kind of a stupid program, but I ended up making some money off of that by charging and selling it as a shareware, uh, meaning it, I charged like $15 a copy, but you could download it for free initially. Okay. Um, and I realized, wow, there's something to this software thing. Like you write it once and you can make as many copies as you want. Mm -hmm. I should just go and explore that. So that's kind of what made me realize the power and potential there to go off and, and build products for the web, um, where you do the work up front one time and then you, know, you can make uh, endless money depending on how many people want to consume that. So did that and that's how Dig got started and really took off from there. And then eventually I went and took uh, venture funding for it and, and grew the team and whatnot. Sure, so there's uh, like 10 things I want to put a sure. pin in. One, that you talked about like, well first thing it is, obviously I got a job. Because I think there's so many folks out there that, oh, I wanna, I'm going all in. I'm just going to stop working and see if I can figure out this design thing or this photography thing or right. this entrepreneurship thing. And I have people, you know, after a, I give a talk or whatever on the internet, oh, isn't that how you do it? I'm like, Jesus, no, that's like the worst plan. Right. Like, make it so that, because if you're, you're thinking about trying to get enough food to survive, the last thing you're doing is thinking about all these great ideas and the way to be... Um, creative and entrepreneurial and sustainable, you're like, I need to survive. So right. is it fair to say that you gotta take care of your basic needs and then sort of explore from there? Yeah, the only way I would say to, to not take care of your basic needs and not have to worry about this is if you're at the point where you're 23, you can always go back in with mom and dad yeah. and you can just like, you know, who cares? Sure, or at, you're in, like you're living in their basement. For right, yeah. exactly, then it doesn't really matter if you have those, but for me it was like, you know, I had already moved out of home, I was, I was, I was up in the Bay Area, I needed to cover those basic expenses, um, so I didn't, you know. Which in the Bay Area is like 25 grand. Which is insane. <laughs> it was even insane back then, so, it, so bad it's now. crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, for me, it was a nights and weekends project. Like I, you know, people would always say like, oh, I don't know how you t find time for that. And it's like, well, it's easy. I don't watch television. Yeah. Like don't that, do other shit. Like I, I work on my projects. I get off of work, I come home, I have dinner, and then I get back to work. It's, it doesn't feel like work when it's something that you're super passionate about and you're excited about. Um, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't have the same mental burden that like a nine to five job does. Yeah, that's a, again, the, 
A, the exploration. You talked about that. That's another thing I wanted. Like, you tried several things. You admitted sort of, great, I tried this thing. A little bit worked. I made a little bit of money. It wasn't ultimately the thing that uh, you poured your heart into, but that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, again, so many people out there, they find a, something they're passionate about or they're, if you're wondering if you're passionate about something, you're not. I mean, right. is, that, is that fair? Is that no, fair? I think that's fair to say. And, and if, if you don't know, go out, fail fast, I yeah. think is a good way to do it. Like go in there and, and give it your all and try and then you'll know very quickly. Yeah. Oh, this sucks, if this isn't for hard. me. Yeah. As soon as shit gets hard, if you're like, oh, I'm not so sure this right. design thing is for me or the photography thing or the whatever. Um, so you, you putter in your, nine to, in your five to nine. Um, iterate a couple times, hire some friends, basically cobble it together to push a V1 out there. You push V1 and dig out and? Yeah, basically at that point, um, the first couple weeks were solid growth and then a couple things happened where we were breaking news stories faster than traditional media sources um, because we had, what we had is we, we had turned the, the user base um, all these registered members into would-be reporters for us on the internet. And they were going out and finding these really cool blog articles and things that people weren't reporting on that were interesting little tidbits and they would post them to Dig and then all the community would vote them up to the front page. Um, that's how Dig function is. The best content would flow to the front page um, based on the votes of the users. And we were breaking stuff and Google was then indexing it and we were showing up really high in search results. And that just created this crazy cycle that all of a sudden our servers were falling over. I had to figure out ways to go and buy more hardware because back then there was not you really. You literally had a box of stuff. That's right. The there wasn't Amazon Web Services or anything yeah. like there is today. Um, so, you know, this was a lot of kind of like hustling to keep the servers up. And that's when it got really stressful. And thankfully, I was able to go out and I had a friend that. Um, that lived in LA that I was able to raise, uh, he wrote me a check for $50,000 and then later I brought in a CEO to help out because it was my first rodeo, I'd never done any of this before, um, to help me go out and, and raise proper venture funding. Got it. So following that, th that uh, I think it had a, I ended up on the front page of Dig. You, you don't know these things because you put out some content, someone else finds it, all right. of a sudden your shit's crashing. And it, I remember uh, that time very, very vividly. It was very impactful. Um, so I'm gonna fast forward revision three. Yeah. How, how, where was your idea for that? How, you know, how, why? Yeah, I mean, we basically, um, well at the time, this was all coming, this is, this is part of my ADD issue. Uh, and you can be my therapist for today. Sure. Uh, but, but the issue was that I was working at Tech TV. We had moved to Los Angeles. I didn't really like the, the direction the company was going. It was getting more, a little bit more dumbed down than it was before. And so the internet was a thing, obviously. And so we were like, why don't we put more video online? And um, this is really b before YouTube really blew up. Podcasting had just been announced as like a thing, a thing yeah. to do. And so um, we were like, let's just do content for the web and cut out the middleman and work directly with advertisers. And so myself and a couple other friends got together and was like, let's create an online TV like video network for this to kind of uh, scratch our itch when it comes to all things technology. And so we created a series of different shows, um, one called System that we launched initially. Um, we had another one called The Broken. 
Um, there's my show with Dignation with Alex Albrecht that we did, um, and then a bunch more after that. And so we raised some money for that at the same time that Dig was raising money. And so we kind of had two companies that we were building at the same time. Ooh, I didn't know that was in parallel. Yeah. What were you doing back and forth? Uh, it was mostly, you know, David Prayer kind of ran the things over at Revision 3, and uh, I was just talent at that point and on the board as well. Got it. And so it was just too hard for me to run Dig and Revision 3 at the same time. I get it. And so I was just focusing on, on Dig. So I'm going to keep, for, keep fast forwarding. So you end up selling uh, Revision 3 to Discovery. That's right. Uh, maybe some other things happened. And then you end up at Google Ventures. Did you ever see yourself as a venture capitalist? Ah, uh, gosh. I, I really enjoyed angel investing. So I'd been an angel investor prior to that and was lucky enough to back some, some great companies and have some, some decent outcomes there. And so I think that's what kind of attracted Google Ventures to the whole VC thing. And I, you know, I'd, I admired their, their approach. They wanted to take a different, more hands-on approach with companies and really kind of leverage Google's resources to help out uh, entrepreneurs. And, and Google just has tremendous uh, amount of not just capital and cash to provide entrepreneurs, but um, expertise in a bunch of areas. Yeah. And so the cool thing about working at Google Ventures is that if an entrepreneur had an issue, like we had that, spe that special kind of magic red phone to pick up to go inside of Google and say, how can we solve this issue for this founder? And so, you know, um, it, Bill Marison in creating Google Ventures, his kind of mandate was like, we have to be doing something positive for the, the internet ecosystem in that if Larry or Sergey were starting Google today, they would turn to Google Ventures and raise money. So let's find the next the kind of Larry and Sergey and help them yeah. out um, and help them scale. And so that was awesome. And I had a great time. I spent three years there. It was, it was a tr tremendous amount of fun and seeing and growing that team. Um, you know, we did some great investments, uh, obviously Creative Live, investing in Creative Live. Um, Uber at a, at a pretty early, I'm sorry, what? I don't, yeah, maybe familiar. you've never heard of them, yeah, it must be, it's new, new, new transportation thing. Yeah. Uh, that was a crazy deal. I mean, that was our largest investment 259 ever. 259 million? 250, yeah, I think it is nine. It was four or nine, something like that. Uh, but to be in that room as we were kind of debating whether to do that deal was just pretty intense. It's a big <laughs> check to write. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was gonna. I just, I'm out. I'm out. I don't have that much money. Yeah. Um, but was, but it was it was a lot of fun, and I think that you know you see a lot of these founders running into the same issues yeah. over and over again, and so anything you can do to kind of like not help them avoid it because there's always something to be learned there, but like smooth out those kind of rough edges. I think is the reason I was fast forwarding through your life at a pace that's probably unfair to your life. That's all good. <laughs> to get to the Google Ventures part is because that's one of the things that you just said, which is like, you see the same things over and over again with founders. And remember our audience is not just founders of you know, tech companies, but they're founders of small mom and pop, um, entrepreneurial, solopreneur, freelance worlds. You clearly have seen a lot of shit. So what are some common pitfalls? What should people who are interested in, again, sort of the people who are interested, not just, yeah, in, in going from zero to one, like, Oh, I want, to st I want to pursue my dream, but I've got a mortgage. I got all these other things. Like, there's probably a, a handful of pieces of advice that you would give maybe a couple different groups that represent the people on the other side of the camera here. So, yeah, which group do you want to talk about first? Um, do you have something? Do you have a preference, or where you most well, get most your mojo? I think that um, 
a couple of different things. I think that on the more mom and pop, and I just want to get something started, uh, it seems that in chatting with would-be founders, they tend to think it's a lot more expensive and a lot more difficult and that they need to kind of overproduce it if they're going to start something new. And it's like, well, I would need a lawyer to do this. I would need to get patents and trademarks and all these things. And they, they, they've heard all of these buzzwords floating around yeah, in the past. Awful buzzwords. They're buzzwords. very expensive buzzwords. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's not necessarily what you need to do to launch a business. It doesn't need to be that complicated. You don't need to spend a ton of, ton of dollars doing it. And so that's kind of one camp. And then you have another set of founders on the, that are more kind of technical, which are the, the tech folks that I would talk to uh, oftentimes, that I feel that they, a lot of people are risk adverse. They, they, just, they have an idea but they don't want to go and, and really take that leap. It's like they're looking for someone to kind of bless their idea. I think mm -hmm. that's oftentimes a founder that I would run into where I would give a talk at some place and then have people come up and say, hey, I have to show you something. I'm thinking about doing this. Should I go do this? And, and my answer has always been like, gosh, I, I remember so many people that I pitched Dig2 or Revision 3 or any other idea that thought it was a horrible idea. Yeah. And had I just gone based on that feedback, I never would have created that product to begin with. And so, you know, oftentimes the best founders, without a doubt, this is true, the best founders are the ones that see something before anyone else, including myself or anyone else. I mean, there's a reason why Uber was on angel list and like trying to raise a round of funding. <laughs> It's like people didn't see it. You know, they were like, uh, they, they had to go on AngelList and kind of put themselves out there and say, like, hey, who wants to invest? And everyone's like, eh, I don't know. You know, it's, they were able to see something before anyone else. And so as a founder, if you think you have that insight, that thing that you've been able to, to capture and see before anyone else, go run with it. Don't listen to anyone else and let them tell you it's a bad idea. And that's a hard thing for people to kind of adjust to and believe in. Yeah. As a founder of a couple of things, I feel that there is so much resistance to new ideas. I, I can't think of a single thing. My even something as simple as my photography career included. Like I was bound for a career in professional soccer, then medical school, and I just kept sort of pivoting in the traditional shit, mostly because I, I was scared shitless about the things that other people would do to judge me. In that, wait, you want to? You, you were going to be a pro soccer player, and then you wanted to be a photographer. Like, what the? Hey, who cares? Yeah. That's the fun of life, though. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like I know without a doubt that like when, when someone goes back and, and either looks at my Wikipedia page or wherever it happens to exist, if it does exist, of the things that I tried, I want there to be a history of uh, so many failures. You know, there's going to be a few wins in there, yeah. which is like awesome. But like, I don't know. The fun is in trying new things that no one else has done before. Like I, I like launching new apps that are uh, that people think that's that's a little bit crazy that or that's stupid. I don't know. It was my idea. Yeah. Like who cares? Yeah. Like Show at least yours. I tried yeah. something. For sure. Like you know, so many people just sit there and they work for someone else and they they hate their life every single day. It's like I'm having fun. Even the failures are fun. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, who cares? Like you're having a good time doing it, and you always learn something. For sure. And, and uh, I don't know, I think that's, that's, that's for me, that's that what gets me excited. So uh, I think there's a pro, maybe even an abundance of programming in our culture now, like try it, fail fast. 
but there's still something that keeps people from doing it. Sure. That like there's still this barrier from zero to one. And I don't know, maybe you have some insight having talked to so many people who are trying to start out. Is Are the biggest barriers, is it sort of fear of public humiliation? Is it fear of loss of money? Is it fear of like shame and guilt? Like what, 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 are, what are- I think it's all those things. I don't think there's one kind of straightforward answer there. I've seen it all over the place from founders that, I have a great example, one that I can't, I won't name his name, but like he grew up in a very strict kind of uh, tiger mom uh, Chinese household. And when he dropped out of college to pursue his passion in, in he's a brilliant entrepreneur, like his, mom, they, his family almost disowned him. Wow. And it was really brutal. And it was just like, you know, that, that's like heartbreaking, you know, like mm. he's, he's going out there trying to like do something that is not the standard, you know, path. Sure. And, and his family just like really cracked down on him. And it wasn't until he started having success there that they were like, oh, wait a second. It's funny how that happens. It's funny how that works out. <laughs> but it's like, you know, think about all the people that, that don't necessarily, might not have success. And, and you know, that's, that's really difficult. And it, there's a big, I remember when I left Tech TV, and I was going to start Dig, my parents were kind of just, what are you doing? Like, you're on television. Why would you ever, Why leave, would you ever leave television? That's as good as it gets. Yeah. Like, I can tell my friends to tune in to channel whatever on DirecTV, you know, 754 or whatever it is, you know? It's like always like crazy, you know, it's not in the top 100, but yeah. it's like- but it's uh, so much about their will, not necessarily yours. Oh, for that's, sure, that's, that's for part sure. That's that challenge, I feel like. And then your spouse too. It's like, I'm very lucky in that my wife is just like, she's always been very supportive and she's always just been like, a fellow entrepreneur, which yep. is awesome. So we'll do. She's awesome. We'll do. And she's, uh, you know, she just loves it when I try crazy ideas. And like having that backbone and, and a, a partner who supports you is, is a big piece of it. It's a huge piece. And I, I think it's fair to say that parents and spouses and they're, it's, it's fine that they're generally, I mean, no one's ever trying to pick the worst thing for you. They're, those, those that, uh, input is very natural for them because they care about you and they sure, want you to be safe sure. and all that stuff. Well, a lot of this comes from just straight love, like not yeah. wanting to see you hurt, yeah. you know? Yeah, and the, that is where the, either the, the stubborn bullheadedness, uh, bullheadedness of uh, a founder, um, the, that maybe that's the difference between people who found companies and don't, is that either that brute ignorance or, I don't know, there's some, some force, and again, I'm trying to play back in my own experience, like, what was it? There, I've, I've ranted on this show and others, other stages around the world about how powerful intuition is. Mm -hmm. Talk about intuition for you. No, I, you're here in New York. I like, hey, invite Kevin to the party. Oh, Kevin moved to New York. I was like, what the, what? So you clearly you're following some intuition. Talk about it in, in through your lens on yourself and your lens on other people who are interested in going from zero to one or living their life dream. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, we called it, we talked about this at, a lot at, at Google Ventures as well. It's like, it's, it's, the, it's the difference between kind of IQ and EQ. It's like the ability to... IQ, intelligence quotient, EQ, emotional, for those of you who are new to the... Yeah, so it, it's like a lot of, a lot of people, um, it was really difficult for me to fund a, a founder that was just straight brilliant but didn't have any way 
to convert that, that brilliance into a usable product for the end consumer. And so I think that, uh, you know, in a lot of the founders that I've run into that have been successful, they have this like internal kind of drive that something must exist and it's, it comes from a very creative place. Yeah. And, and I think that um, if you are one of those people that feel that and you're like, I have this, I know this would work, that's kind of like your EQ kind of telling you like, hey, go create this thing. Like this has to manifest out of you into yep. some physical thing. And um, the, the best things that I've ever created and some failures is, have been all from that kind of bubbling up, that internal, like I must do this. Like this, if I don't do this, someone else will at some point in time. Yeah. And, um, and kind of closing your eyes and saying, if this works, this is where it'll be and this is how many people will be enjoying it or using it six, 12, 18 months out. And I can play that out in my head. Do you ever do that? I do. Like I, when I, before I go to bed, I play out those scenarios in my head. Like yeah. if this works, do you? Then, oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually start with the, I, I have to scratch my own itch. I'll never start something. Or in theory, I, I, I also am an angel investor. Um, I tend to piggyback on your investments and Tim's investments and however I can get in sideways uh, <laughs> yeah. to some of these things. Uh, but I only participate in those things that I feel like I can actually, I have insight, I can add value, or in particular the things that I found where I'm, I have to found it. I ha I, I'm scratch. It's a problem that I either have experienced myself or there are a lot of people, ideally, you know, you're aware of a lot of people who have this problem. Uh, and the reason I, I put that lens on it is because shit is gonna get hard. It's gonna get really hard. And it, generally speaking, gets 10 times harder than you think hard is. And at that moment, when, if, if it's your own problem, you are more willing to keep going versus if it's a market opportunity, you're right. like, oh, okay, well, someone else is gonna have to solve this because they care a lot more about it right. than you're gonna fold up shop. I mean, that's the whole, that's the difference between you know, I think we've all had those ideas where like, oh man, if I, if I just went and built that, I'd make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, it's not something you're passionate about, but you think like, mm. I could make a lot of money if I went and did that. You know, and it's just kind of like those, those we have all, everybody has friends that are like, we're all like that. We just like think like, oh, that would be crazy. I bet you that'd sell, you know, if I had a blender that did X, Y, or Z, like, you know, but that's not like something that is really from that creative process. It's not something that's like, to your point, when it gets really difficult, it's just, you're gonna dump it. That's yeah. the first thing you're, it's gonna go. Cause you're like, oh, it's too stressful, I'm out. You know? For sure. And, and I've seen and that happen so many times. Could you imagine uh, if uh, Travis and Ryan weren't up for a hell of a fight oh. in founding Uber, or you know, with Garrett, obviously. Like that, I just remember how bullish they were. And I, there's probably no, no other group of people who were as fucking stubborn as those guys were. And the willingness to play through, the th like, take on the New York Taxi Commission? Who wakes up in the morning and says, I know. you know, I got this great idea. I'm gonna go fight this, you know, whatever, 100-year-old, 75-year-old institution that has all kinds of, uh, the underbelly, let's just say, it's not all that pretty. And I know. it's all kinds of power structure. Like, that's when I'm gonna wake up and go to work and do that. They wanted it so badly, they saw both their own experience, like of wanting to be able to get around and having a shitty experience with, with cabs, and whether it's Paris or San Francisco, enough to care to go to work to fight that thing. The thing is, with Travis, the, the CEO of Uber, it's, if, if you know him, he's a very, 
and, and you do, but I'm just saying in general, yeah, yeah. If, one he, does, he, yeah. if one does, he's a very kind of hard, badass, like gritty, yeah. kind of doesn't take no for an answer. And it, it's, it's clear from his previous companies where he was sued by the RIAA yeah. and a bunch of other folks for like- For a tr quarter of a trillion? Quarter of a trillion dollars or something. <laughs> like wow. you have to have that demeanor to run a business like that. Yeah. I don't think I could do oh, it. No way. It, it's just like, people want to kill him. Yeah. Like, it's scary yeah. shit. Yeah, like, I don't sure. know if we can bleep that out or something. No, no, but, take it, roll with it. We're but it's roll. like, make sure that you match yourself up to the right type of business as well. Like, clearly, he was really passionate about it, got excited about it, wanted to go do it, and, and it was the right person for the job. Just happened to be the right person for the job at the same time. So it was a perfect match of original idea with, with founder, you know? And uh, that doesn't always happen. But, but, be, but being honest, I think a, a fair point to go back to reestablish re the context here. It's like, what are some things that you should think about when you're wanting to go from zero to one? Or should I start something? Something you care deeply about because yeah. it's going to get hard. Something ideally you have inside knowledge, uh, experience Unique, with. Yeah. yeah. And Travis surely had a inside experience and you know all the legal stuff that he'd had with his previous company well something that plays to your strengths too right like if, if it requires you to go knocking on people's doors you should be pretty comfortable talking to other people and knocking on doors right. you know so yeah. just to make sure that that matches up as well for sure so you've got this deep passion you got an overlap you clearly have you aptitude is probably the right word yeah. you've got some aptitude and then your is it fair to say that um, you lumped when I was trying to identify individual challenges, like uh, is it you know fear of failure, is it loss of money, is it you just there's just a huge bucket and you call it fear. What helps people play through that? Uh, well, it's a good question. I think that sadly there's not at some point you just kind of have to take that leap of faith. Uh, for me, it was going out and not going into debt when I took this, this kind of jump. And so I went out and had savings. I went out and saved up that $10,000 initially mm -hmm. um, because I, I, was in a, I had been in debt before and I didn't want to be in debt again. So I made a promise to myself I wouldn't go start a new venture until I had some savings to actually properly fund it. So I wasn't funding it all through credit card debt. Um, but you know, everybody's different. I wish there was one magic, what, what's it been for you to, to push through? Um, I think that, that intuition thing that I have sort of harped on a little bit, it is that I know this is a thing, I'm using this thing and I have a problem that I created the first iPhone app that shared photos to social networks years before Instagram. I'm like, I'm taking a picture with the iPhone when it first came out, iPhone one, before then actually Palm Trio. I don't tell too many people I was taking pictures with nice. Palm Trio, 0.2 megapixels. Um, but I'm like, well, let's just go to iPhone. You're like, so I have to take a picture and then there's this other app that allow me to change that picture, this like bullshit Photoshop-ish thing. And then this new thing, Facebook, now I have a Facebook thing and I want to share it and that's a different, there's like 10 different apps. Like, yeah. hey, I just want to share a picture. I want to take a picture, I want to add a cool effect and I want to share it. And I'd like to do that with the touch of one button. It doesn't exist. Hmm. Interesting. I had so many people tell me it was a terrible idea. I had literally had a hard time finding a developer that would do the work because what they wanted to develop was the next lighter app. Like, right. oh, dude, we're going to get a million downloads. I'm like, yeah, but that's not a business. The future of these small apps is going to be huge businesses. No, 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 you're full of shit. That, I, I, I got 10 no's in trying to find someone to 
that I was willing to pay six figures. So you had to go out there and you just kept knocking on doors until you found a right developer to yeah. go out and build it. Yes. That was kind of my issue too. It's like I had a few check boxes. Like I wanted to find a developer. So before I even created the business, I went out there and interviewed and found a developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got to like check those boxes and say, okay, I have my team assembled. Yeah. That's going to help me get there. Okay, now I'm ready to go and do it. I had turned my photography studio into somewhat of an incubator only because I, I feel like I had achieved enough in photography that I was satisfied with the trajectory of that business. It was growing year over year. Um, I had the kinds of clients that I wanted to work for and I wanted to do something like what's, again, sort of seeing around the corner, that's what you're paid to do as a venture capitalist or as an entrepreneur. It's like, what, what is the next thing? And I'm thinking this photography thing is really interesting. Uh, the, I can see the future of mobile, light, small. Um, the, the phrase I helped popular, popularize, the best camera is the one that's with you, that I own the trademark for. Like, uh, applied that to, to mobile, I'm like, wow, now there's something here. And I'm looking around, I can see a way where this transcends language, it's, it's immediate. What is, what is the web? The web is universality, the, word, the web is immediacy. Like, mm, maybe mm-hmm. if I put these things together, there might be some, some there there. And then, yeah, I, I felt like I had to bust my head to find some people to do some heavy lifting. And it did help that I had built up a community in photography so that when I launched that thing, I could point them at it. Yeah. Um, but it was not pretty, it wasn't easy, it was expensive and hard. Um, but I felt like it had to be made because I'm, you know, I guess there's a designer friend of mine named James Victoria who says, in the particular lies the universal. So if it's a problem that you feel like is commonplace and there's enough people that have that problem, your idea is probably, it's not just your problem, it's probably the problem of many other people. Mm-hmm. Just kind of put that filter on there and still many painful hours, days, weeks, months, years, but uh, I think that's the lens for me. What, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. It's like when I'm, when I'm meeting with founders, I always look for that one truth that they believe um, that no one else does. I mean, it's a thing that Peter Thiel said before and, and several others. It's, it's like you have to find that and then you also have to believe it. Yeah. You know, I remember when Cellularly, I saw... like deeply. <clears throat> totally. When I saw Vine for the first time, I got really excited um, because Vine was a way to really create watchable videos. Like the, there was video content, you probably remember this, like people would just hit record and then they would just go on and on forever and you weren't getting to the meat. Yep. And so, you know, YouTube was great for little funny things and in, 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 in well edited videos, but how were we able to like pare down these long videos on mobile in a fun way? Yeah. And so I remember when I met the founder of Vine, I was like, oh my God, you just like the touch to record and when you let go, it stops and then you can resume again and then you have to let go again you get just the best parts and yeah. you cut out all the extra garbage. I was like, this is gonna be massive. And he's like, yeah, all the other investors think so too and I'm oversubscribed. And I was like, damn, I can't invest. But it was, it was, it's little things like that. It was like Twitter with the following. No one had the ability to have followers before. It was always a two-way relationship. On MySpace, you had to friend someone, they had to friend you back. And it was always two ways on Facebook. And then all of a sudden they introduced this idea of just being able to tail off of someone you don't know massive like um, those little tiny insights are, are can be so huge and and so it's just trying to find those and when you meet with founders and you sit down for that initial cup of coffee looking for those and be like ah that's one i haven't seen before that could be massive big leap ready for this one yeah coffee 
Yes. You just said sit down with the founder for a cup of coffee. Yes. Uh, I hail from a small ville in the northwest called Seattle. Treats its coffee very seriously. It does it though. It does. No, it doesn't. It does. There was so much more. The coffee. coffee's okay there up there. There was so much more passionate coffee <laughs> culture up there for ten years. Where before is it now, though? It's all in San Francisco. Now. There's a handful of great manufacturers. Um, Starbucks. Many, many. No, God, no. They're all. Uh, it's all the small ones. It's the cafe. I'm just Vitas. giving you. I'm just I giving know you are. You're trying to. He's kicking me under the table. You guys don't. You can't see that. Um, but you invested in some coffee. Yes. Let's talk about Probably that for a second. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. But uh, so Blue Bottle, yes, Blue yeah. Bottle is uh, a little coffee company uh, based out of San Francisco, and uh, yeah, did an investment there, and it's been growing like crazy. What a cool! I was, I'll just confess, I was very excited. It one opened up across the street. I'm in, I'm a tenth in uh, Market down there, right across oh, from awesome. Twitter, and there's a little one right down there, and they're like, it. It feels very. I feel you feel lucky, and you get to have one of those right across the street from your house. Did you see it coming? Was it the founder? Was it the idea? Was it coffee? Was it like, oh, this is an interesting application of venture to a thing that doesn't usually receive venture? Well, it's funny, speaking about like San Francisco being a hub for entrepreneurs to get together, uh, the founder lived above me in a building when I was living in San Francisco back, gosh, in like 2002, way back in the day when he was roasting beans on trays in like his oven and had a little tiny hole in the wall place that was just uh, in Hayes Valley. And at the time it wasn't such a nice neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, and serving out of a shed where he just would like grind his beans there and just serve cups of coffee. Um, but you know, the founder, uh, James, he's just such a s- brilliant, simple person and has a very clean aesthetic about everything that he does. Yeah, You'll notice that in the, the store design. Um, and he's always believed that just kind of producing and roasting locally, delivering those beans in a timely fashion to the storefront, um, and treating coffee, uh, just taking it to the next level, and just uh, doing the pour over right there. I mean, if you think about how coffee has been served forever, it's been in these big containers big that- fat that you brew yeah, hours that you, before. You, yeah. you brew at you know, 6 a.m. and you serve it until three or whatever, or whenever it runs out. Yeah. And it's just it's like- It's almost unthinkable now, actually. It is, yeah, but it's funny is that wasn't the norm. I know, I know. And, right. and then he started doing the pour over right in front of you and you can taste the difference. Yeah, it's not like sure. it's like, uh, you know, pinky up snobby kind of thing. Yeah, like, it, I mean, granted it is a little bit more expensive, but sure. it, you do taste the difference. Right, that, that, that was a little bit of an indulgence for me. We don't need to talk about coffee, but I know, I knew that you were uh, involved early in that. I never talked to you about it. Yeah, so. it's, it's, a, it's, it's a founder. The founder, it comes, you were asking like what yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it was just meeting him and just realizing that this guy cares more about coffee than anyone I've ever met and is doing it differently. So do you back ideas or people? Uh, you know, I've seen some brilliant ideas just blow up and, uh, and a couple that I've backed. And so I tend to like, uh, I try to find a healthy mix of both. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it, it comes down to the, fi- the founder can't scale forever. You, you can, you can meet someone with a really brilliant idea, but they're only just one person and they have to hire a remarkable team around them and surround themselves with good people yes. or the idea is not gonna work. And that's, uh, so that's important. It, it does come down to people. Great. Um, hmm. I'm gonna also shift gears now, not to coffee. We touched on that, but it's gonna be a little bit more about Kevin. Okay. So what do you feel like is your biggest strength 
as either as a founder or as an investor, or maybe not an or, as a founder first and then as someone who invests or supports others? Oh, gosh, I would say um, as a founder, it would probably be just the random ideas. It's a strength and a weakness and that I have too many of them. Uh, most of them are probably crap, but uh, every once in a while I kick out an idea that is unique and different and, and can gain some traction. And I think that people uh, um, have used and appreciated over time, which has been awesome. Yeah, so vision. Basically. So vision, I think, is in, in original kind of ideas, which I which I'd love to do. Um, that, I think that's my, my biggest strength for sure. What and about as in, on the investor side? On the investor side, it's helping other founders flesh those out a little bit. So, you know, I love brainstorming sessions and I love getting in a room with a whiteboard and some markers and a founder saying, hey, I'm thinking about building X, Y, and Z and then just going riffing with them and going back and forth and just like taking it in many cases too far, yeah. but I love leaving a founder with a fresh kind of just perspective on things. And then, you know, 90% of the time they throw away everything that you say, but then every once in a while they'll a implement nugget. something and it works. And then that, then you're like, wow, that was awesome. That was a great collective session that we've had together. And I think that I, I work best that way with other people and people have helped me that way as well. And that, uh, Daniel Burka, one of my uh, friends for a very long time, and he was the early awesome designer, designer with, on, on Dig with me. Great designer. He's helped us with Creative Live. He, he created the yellow Dig button, the, the big kind of Dig button. And, you know, we were go kind of going back and forth and just riffing off of ideas with each other. And we found that we were kind of collectively creating better products than either one of us did as a silo. And I, I find that when you find that partner in crime, and we haven't really touched on this as well, but if you can find a really good co-founder or partner that shares your vision, but not in a like, oh, I'm just like patting you on the back and saying, oh, your ideas are great, but we'll challenge you on certain things. Yeah. Um, that's so powerful. Have you, have you oh, found? I, I mean, I, my background is in school, at least, is in philosophy. And you may have heard of the Socratic method, which is basically a dialogue. And through a dialogue, there's a dialectic where you take an idea, you know, thesis, you discuss the thesis, you debate, and then you have you you synthesize different ideas to have a new thesis. And it's sort of this upward spiral spiraling thing. It's and you basically do that through dialogue. And you know, when you were saying, oh, I love with a whiteboard and a you know, there's the people who are on the outside of these cameras that are going, oh my God, like a room with a whiteboard and a pile of markers. I'm like, that's where I feel really, really comfortable. Um, and absolutely 100% the, having someone or a group to riff off of or with, way, way more, way, way higher quality output. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, so those are some strengths. How about, uh, Personal personal habit. Is there something that you do that you feel like gives you an edge, or that if someone didn't know about you, they'd be surprised? Like, oh wow, I had no idea that Kevin could do you know twenty one-legged squats, and that's the thing that he attributes to all his wisdom. Uh, I take a lot of ice baths and ice showers. Oh, you, the Wim Hof thing. Yes. The Vin yeah. Ferris was like, you, you have to come do the, climb this mountain in your underwear with us or something like that. He was trying to get me to go to Poland. I don't know, that, that never worked out. But you went and sat with him, right? You worked with him. I, I've taken his course. I did his 10 weeks of training and I've since been 
fully sold on the whole method and now I'm, I'm all in on it's it. It's breathing and ice and a bunch of stuff? It's mostly, yeah, breathing and ice. So it's like, I, um, so there's this compound, I've since gone really crazy into the science piece of it. Okay. There's a scientist out there, uh, well, let me, let me step back. Yeah, let me sorry, first uh, just say I, what I, it is. I was, I got excited and I leaned too no, far. Yeah, let me, let me just say what it is for, for people out there. So um, basically what this is, is it's a little body hack that a lot of people have started to use to kind of get more energy, a little bit more focus. Um, just overall, I would say a 20 or 30% boost in mood in general. And I, I would say that uh, it's really helped me at, at work not to have that late afternoon cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. I just don't drink it at all anymore, which is crazy. Um, I used to be hooked on coffee and now it's not even needed. Yeah. So this is uh, something that's been backed up by science, uh, by a scientist by the name of Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She's studying all this stuff and she has some, a great uh, PDF on her website um, that you can check out. It's like a 10 page report that she does for free about cold therapy and sauna actually. But um, it's a 10 week course by this guy by the name of Wim Hof and he is the guy that kind of popularized this here um, last few years and he holds all of the world records for exposure submerged in ice and swimming under several foot deep like uh, they break a hole in the ice and go down you know 100 yards later break another hole and he swims underneath the ice and there's like people with oxygen and scuba equipment in case he passes out under the water he's, he's crazy uh, that kind of stuff do not try at home do not, yeah, do. do not do but disclaimer there has been uh, science has backed up the fact that your brain releases a, a substance called norepinephrine um, when you get hit with cold water and that boosts the mood, it gives you energy, it makes you just feel amazing. And so I took this 10 week course. At the end, I was able to, as my like last challenge, I uh, got 12 bags of ice. I filled the bathtub full of water and ice and I laid in it for 15 minutes without shivering or anything. No shivering, and that's, is that the, that's the objective is the no shivering? It, I mean. uh, the, the no shivering just means that uh, I'm just used to it by now and I, I'm burning fat rather than using shivering as a way. And I can also produce heat through breathing exercises from the inside out. It's a uh, part of yogic breathing. It, a lot of uh, you know, people that practice meditation can create their uh, heat through their body by doing breathing exercises. Anyway, long story short, um, every uh, twice a week now, I do a five minute ice shower and it's just inc incredible amount of energy and just mood. It just, it really, really helps you out. So I'm, I'm sold on that. So that's my one little body hack uh, little it. thing that I use. I love it. I will confess that, uh, gosh, I think maybe even January, no, maybe it was in the fall. I started taking cold showers. Really? So how long? I take a warm shower, I clean my body. Okay. And then I just go from nice to what you think of when you think of a nice hot shower, and then I go to the absolute coldest Great. that it's possible. In the For shower. how long? At nothing shorter than a minute. If I have more, I will do more. It's basically a function of how much time I've allotted in the morning. How often myself. are you doing this? Every single day, okay. without fail, 100%, and it has been game changing. That's great. That's awesome. I, I, I came, so I played soccer in college, and um, this was long enough, we'll just say it's in the 90s. Um, and 
about halfway through my career, we started experimenting. And you know, in your colleges, like the, there's the medical aspect of it. There, we had a very, very uh, high-end training. Right. Uh, that was like it was a, a trainer, the trainers that that took care of this, the athletes. And so we were sort of like experimental. We were lab rats, basically, uh, for the psychology department. For example, I did a lot of visualization early on, and that has stayed with me today and been very powerful. And ice baths were just starting out. So I used to just the first year or two I was in college, we would ice from the shins down. And then we started getting in mm -hmm. these baths, big steel. And it was miraculous. Like uh, the inflammation in my body, the mm -hmm. amount of pain that you, when I mean, you're running 10 to 20 miles a day, half of it at sprints, and you're doing that for 300 days a year, it's hard on your body. Ice baths were a game changer. I, whatever, I, I'm a habit guy. I started really focusing on habits, and I brought that cold thing back, definitely through talking to Tim, you know, for, he's been interested in the cold thing for, you know, a number of years. Yeah. Instant game changer. I felt like I kind of was in a little bit of a slump, working really hard. Yeah. You feel like you shed like seven years of your life. I feel like I have so much more energy. I'm like, wow, I'm like, you know, younger. I it's get weird. Out, I, I get out of the shower instantly in a better mood. Yeah. It's, it's, and I'm, and it stays like, with you too, yeah. which is crazy. The energy levels up, yeah. you're just kind of sleepy. I go from sleepy to, and there, I will confess, there are many times like, fuck, am I really gonna flip yeah. the switch to coal and right now? And you do it, and then you feel, I, yeah. And I literally do not, there, it's not like a, dis, it, there's a discussion sometimes, a negotiation, but there's never been a time where I was like, not today. Right. Cold. Amazing it is, benefit. It is crazy. You should read this 10 page report. Okay. It's because it, it's all the science for what you're thinking. Yeah. It's all the science backed up. And she even goes in and shows the studies where how cold you need to be and for what duration yeah. causes what effect in, in the increased levels. So. I do feel actually sometimes disappointed now. I'm like, this is really not even cold. Like, you know, at a shower, at a hotel, you can't control how cold the water gets. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, huh, well, I'm just going to try and get the most. And so I'm sure. I, I'm not scientifically going to the places where I need to go at all the time, but I know that a different, that a, that a cold minute or three is a game changer. Yeah. So the, that, that's powerful medicine. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways to, to get there. And if you're doing it every day, that totally makes sense. Or you can do it a couple times a week, just longer duration or colder. Also, I've been, I've been doing um, cryotherapy as well, which is where you stand into liquid nitrogen and it freezes you at negative 240 degrees Celsius for three minutes. So I've, you should try it. It's right up the street, by the way. Really? Yeah, and you, it, you can go today. And it's, uh, it, it's just Ooh. a little three-minute experiment, and it, it's awesome. And you walk out of there just feeling amazing. Is it and like a $40 it, juice that you can also go here in San Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, almost all the juices are like crazy expensive <laughs> oh here. So, all right, th those are, that's something that people would not know about you. Um, how about, I'm a habit guy. Uh, I don't try and say I want to lose 10 pounds, I say, I want to do these 10 things. And just so happens that if you do these 10 things, just, you can't actually not lose 10 pounds. To lose 10 pounds is a really brutish example. It's not the best example. Any habits in particular that you're excited about? Besides, uh, besides the ice stuff? Besides the ice stuff, um, I make it a habit to track all of my various ideas in online journals. I keep like little reminders app where I'll have them all different tabs for different types of things that I'm working on. 
Um, so I have ideas in one tab. I have immediate work stuff. I have personal things. Those are just like just keeping things organized. It, it frees up RAM when it you're writing It frees up RAM. Things. That is so essential. And then honestly, a big thing for me this year is just uh, saying no. Just knowing that if you're not going to be able to give 100% of your effort to something and you're going to do a half-assed job or, or you're just feeling a little bit stressed, focus on one, maybe two things max and say no to everything else. I just had a really awesome business opportunity that was um, a new, new venture that I was going to start this little company with a couple of friends. And I have no doubt it would be successful. It would be a fun little lifestyle business. Um, but I had to unfortunately just say no. It's just because I felt too stretched. And uh, I don't think you do your best work when you're that stretched or stressed. Yeah. And so you just have to be able to cut back and really focus on, on the important stuff. Was there some lens through which you could, through which you could say this, what, this would put me over the edge? Was it hours a day? Was it money in your pocket? Was it like what was the lens? Because, you know, here's, here's I'll just reverse the, the uh, idea and say, I'm always going like, well, if I did this and this and this, here's how I could say yes. Right. Yeah. And I know that's, that's, it can be very toxic, but what's your lens to make sure that you don't get there? You know, uh, Seth Godin just had a, like 15 reasons to say no post. I was with Seth yesterday. Oh, really? Fun hanging out with him. Yeah. yeah so I, I put that in my most recent newsletter and I have to pull that up for you, but his are spot on um, for, for the reasons why you should be saying no over, over saying yes. Can you sh want to share a cup? Actually, first of all, oh, what's, the, what's the best way? I know you just started your newsletter. I'm excited to receive it. How, how do people do it? Yeah, it's just uh, I started a new newsletter. It's called the journal.email. There's actually .email uh, domain names now, which I didn't know, but I was like, hell yeah, I got the fr it was free. I didn't have to pay some squatter, nice. which is great. Um, but it's only once a month. Uh, Ooh, yeah, heavy. so it's, it's crazy because I put a lot of time and effort into every single product. Uh, I'll give you an example. This is kind of crazy. This is how obsessed. This actually goes to what people don't know about me okay. is I get really obsessed about things and I go really deep. So I got obsessed with uh, paper journals recently. Like you know how you can buy those little journals like yeah. moleskins or things sure. like that. Yeah. Field notes. It, field notes, area. all that. And I was like, well, who makes the best journal? Like who makes the best? Well, what does the best mean? Well, who makes the best paper quality? Who makes the best binding? And so I started researching it. I was reading different online forums. I started asking my Twitter followers, and then I got into where they sourced the paper from. And then I found a guy that has nothing but dedicated his life for the last eight years writing a blog about pen stationery and pens. And he geeked out on me on a podcast for 45 minutes about paper quality and found these two little independent manufacturers in Japan that like hand make their paper and make the best possible paper. And it's not expensive. It's just really hard to find. Okay. And so I found these awesome journals that are like $7, but they're impossible to find. And they're like handmade in Japan. And that's the best like pad of paper that will like archival quality, stand the test of time, like all that stuff. And, and so, so that goes in your newsletter. That goes in the newsletter, that review of the, the, that particular paper. And I do that for all different types of stuff, whether it's like sneakers or cool backpacks or you know, an app. Like last month, I didn't have any app in the newsletter because I'm like, there's nothing that's worth your time. If I found something that was worth your time, I'd put it in here, but this month it's not. So I, I want to make it just like super, super vetted and once a month. All right, so. I took us on a right hook so that's there. It. That's your newsletter, but what got us into the newsletter? Do you remember? Uh, we were talking about, what was it? Uh, uh, Seth. Yeah, Seth, and the things to say no. So yes. his reasons to say no was in my, my last Great. newsletter. So we'll go to your newsletter. That's how we can get it. 
Um, any teasers? Any like what were a couple that uh, things that stood out? Uh, well, one thing was about the fact that if you can't. Uh, well, one was was funny as if you're not proud to tell your mom about it. <laughs> Don't say yes. The other one that is like if you just really can't give it your all, like you can't give it your best work, yeah. then then why are you saying yes to it? Um, another one that that I think I added to Seth's list that was from my list was that um, if you're doing it just to be nice, you, you, you probably shouldn't do it. Like so many times. That ends up biting you in the ass. Do you know how many times you've said yes to something oh. and then the, the, the event comes due and you're sitting there and you're like, why did I say yes? And you're just doing it to be nice. Say no next time. It, you're not, because you, you're not gonna be your best person when you're doing the event or whatever it may be. What about our inability to foresee happiness in the future? We have, we, turns oh, out absolutely. we're really bad at we're really bad that. what will make us happy. Yeah. So is it a no-win situation? It's, it's, it's got, uh, there's many things I've gone, that's gonna be so fun, and then the day of, I'm like, fuck. Well, I think you just have to say, err on the side of saying no. That's fair. Um, the, the other one, too, is that, that, that really drives me nuts that I've gotten a lot better at is, have you ever kind of just put off saying no? You know what I mean? You kind of like, you look at that email Only and you're like, like oh, I, I want to say no to that, but I'm going to get back to that. Oh. And then like time goes by and you're oh. guilted into it or something. The thing is, it's, it's not fair to the, the receiver, right? The person that's asking you. No, it's no. better to say no up front than, than to put it off. So I've gotten a lot better at that as well. What's the best way to say no? Just be straight up and just Dear say, I can't Gary, do it. No. Yeah, well, I, come on, give me like. Oh gosh, the best way to say no. I mean, it really <laughs> depends on on what it is, but. Uh, <laughs> hey man, I'm out of time. Hey man, I'm. No, I, I have the flu. Um. The, I I did have the flu. I was supposed to make this yesterday, but I, I had the flu. Brother, I, you can see I, I'm I can, sweating today. I can, I can tell, and I want to want to let you out of the hot seat. That's why I have Turn hot tea. Turn down these lights. You do have hot tea. Yes. No, you were a champ, man. I I never put you in that category. Don't sweat it. I mean, I just said don't sweat it, but I meant like. Everywhere. It's all good. Um, I'm glad that you're feeling better. So, so saying no, it, it's funny. It's something we had to do a lot at Google Ventures because we would say no to like 98% of the founders that would, co would come in. Yeah. And oftentimes, um, you know, we would, it's a struggle for mm -hmm. anyone because, uh, you know, we had, I don't even know, I don't want to share too much of our internal stuff, but yeah. like, you know, we would all sit down and say, how do you, how's the best way to say no to a founder that, that one is honest with them and kind of sets them in the right direction and, and, and two just kind of like, you know, um, is, it's, it's hard to be honest but not, you don't want to be an asshole at yeah, the same of course. time. That's why I'm asking the question. Yeah. Because so, I think if more people in the world said no, probably more, and again, I actually like saying yes, but I like saying yes to like, do you want to go to the park right now and throw the frisbee? I'm like, oh, that'd probably be a good thing to do. All right, great. But I'm talking about saying no in order to focus. I mean, if we can, if we can nail this right now, I'm sure there's 10,000 or 100,000 people who are going to see this and say, "God, that's helpful." No, I I'm mean, I, no to more I, I think that the the way that I do it is that I say I can't make it because I'm feeling that I'm overcommitted right now and I need to focus on these other things. That's and the like, most honest and it's simple. it's honest and it's true and it's relieving the stress. Um, if I'm saying no to like a business opportunity, I'll typically say, you, you know, I, I, I'd have to pull up the email yeah. to figure out how I exactly word it, but I typically point out something that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say, well, yeah, your thesis, and I don't quite see eye to eye with you on this mm -hmm. for X, Y, or Z uh, reason. 
um, but I wish you the best. And by the way, I, I, I frame it in a way that I've said no to a lot of things that have gone on to be very successful, which yeah. is absolutely true. Yes. I said no to Pinterest when I should have said yes. Like there's a few things like, and so, you know, just me saying no shouldn't be a nail in the coffin. Yeah, don't let this. Don't let this, right. And there's a much more elegant way that I have when I'm not on uh, Tamiflu that, <laughs> that I could share with you that you could put in the show notes. Fair. But um, it, it's, uh, it, it's a way of saying, I don't necessarily see eye to eye, but continue forward, march on, because there is potentially a massive business here. Awesome. So that's business. There's smaller, li I actually like the... I'm just, I'm totally overcommitted right now, or X, Y, Z, but I, you know, absolutely wish. Because it's the, it's the truth yeah. in that. You're not gonna get the best, my best self, or. Yeah, know. I mean, you, you feel stressed, and, and it'll wear you down, you'll get sick like I am, or whatever it may be. It's like, you know, you, you don't want that, and they don't want that, so. Fair enough. Um, any, uh, what's something that really bugs you? Something that gets under your skin, and I, I'm a very positive person. I like socially. I'm not out there saying like, I never. I occasionally tweet not so nice things at airlines when you actually when you fly enough, you've got millions of miles. You understand when they're actually effing you, and so yeah. then I will send a a not so nice spirited note out there. And funny, it's like, never mind. We'll go. So, is there something that? that you don't often sort of decree and is this with this therapy session be an opportunity for you to share something with the world yeah I mean I think I have similar issues that it's where it's hard not to take it out on Twitter and just like lay into a company that's doing bad work yeah I think that that really drives me nuts when you have um, something that you're paying for free services I don't mind so much a yeah. lot of people what what I think is funny is how many people get upset at free services that's the other thing. <laughs> That's the flip side of this. Because imagine like when you're giving away your videos and people are watching it streaming for free yes. and all of a sudden they're like, F you because you're not doing something the way that I want you to do it. And you're like, my service is free. Yeah. How could you even be so upset? There's that so many other things you could be doing right now than typing <laughs> a note to me about hacking my free. Right, exactly. So I think that's, that's a funny thing. And I, I tend not to get upset at free services, but paid ones I do. Um, but I've gotten a lot better at that. I try to like, I try to zen it out a little bit. I try to like, I had this person that wrote me this really nasty email and they were tearing into me and it was really aggressive and weird, weird, more weird. <laughs> and I saw they had a bout.me profile at the bottom of the email and I clicked on it and I was about to write back as like a really scathing response. And I went to the about.me and I read through their bio and in paragraph two, it said that they were schizophrenic and that they were working through it and they had written a book on how to conquer being schizophrenic and all this stuff and it was a free ebook. It wasn't published by anyone major. And I immediately realized like, there's always another story on the other side of things. Yeah. And it it's probably a, also has something to do with you. Like if you are so incentive or so incensed that you want to respond, that's also probably a reason to look inside. Right. right? Yeah. And I, I, I took a deep breath and I was like, oh my God, like you, you, email is such a, a, a motionless yeah. thing. Yeah, it's brutal. It's, it's, you just have to realize that. So like when I, I always, I actually have that email saved because I just got to, it's, it's such a good yeah. way to rem remember that, you know? So I, I try to use that as kind of a way to 
to stay a little bit more grounded and not, not I think this is why I'm asking the question because I, I, I think it would be slightly healthier if I had sort of allowed myself a little bit more uh, external frustration. I'm not quite sure the right way of doing it. That's like literally the MO behind the question. Have you tried Calm, the app Calm? Um, it's a great free meditation app. It is awesome. Interesting. Give it 15 minutes a day. 15, oh man, I already am a huge Ten minutes TM in. guy. It's, it's so now I'm in the... Uh, oh, you're, if, well, if you're already, if yeah. you're doing... Oh yeah, I, that's part of like, I almost never have this, this urge. So oh great, when it does then you When I, sometimes I do need to overcome it though. That's, um, are you meditating? I am, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I remember uh, Ferris was up It helps Seattle. a ton. Oh man, he was like, why are you so chilled out, man? And I was like, oh, I just, you know, this was maybe five years ago. I was like, oh man, I've been meditating and I'm... I mean, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but dare I say, you might yeah. try and try it. Yeah. It's like, no way, man, I'm gonna lose my edge. And I was like, or that edge is actually an anchor. Right. I just want you to think about it. And we, we talked about it maybe once a year for like three or four years. And then uh, I think a couple of us ganged up on him and you know, I, think he, I think he likes it. You're a meditator? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing it for a while. I, I, I've, uh, I find that it just really helps and it takes a while. Like anything, it's not overnight. Right. But um, it definitely is another little kind of valve that you can turn to let off a little steam, you know? And something is better than nothing. Everyone's like, oh, if you can't meditate 20 minutes a day, twice a day, then it's not worth it. I totally don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe that either. This morning, I had to get up quite early, and uh, I, I think I was in the, like, 14 or 15 minute. I looked, I took a peek, and I was like, all right, the fact that I'm taking a peek, sort of, I, I'm, I'm pulled out of it, I can tell. That's just what I, that's what I can do today. Yeah. Um, powerful medicine though, is it not? Like uh, that plus cold is that like plus little, cold, it's insane. I know, it's nuts, right? It's, it's really good. It's I, I really hope that people that are watching this go and, and try that. It's, it's a fun combo for sure. So hacks are sort of nerdy things. Anything else that you'd want to leave people with? You, uh, you said you're, you're not eating from late in the night till early in the morning, or? Uh, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, I, so I'm, uh, I've been I don't experimenter. want to go check, yeah, there's, there's a lot of. I think the stuff. reason why you and myself and Tim and all of us are like in this circle of friends <laughs> yeah. is because we all like to experiment and try crazy things. Yeah, there's a curiosity. And, and I sure. think that a lot of, um, I, I think that your audience is probably a lot yeah, like that too. Because sure. creative people are like that. They like to try out. There's and, an experimentation desire. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, um, intermittent fasting was really interesting. Uh, it is. I believe fasting is, there's more and more data that's coming out saying the benefits of fasting. Um, and uh, again, Dr. Rhonda Patrick is kind of pioneering a lot of that stuff too, or at least the coverage of it. Um, and, you know, I've been trying to do one day a week of a 24 hour fast. Wow. And, and so that. Um, I, I literally, my stomach just rumbled when you said that. Yeah, I, I, there's some something, some cue going on. No, I mean it's 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 fun. It's you feel really refreshed, and it puts you into a light state of ketosis, which is a whole other can of worms <laughs> that we could get into. Uh, but intermittent fasting, I was first drawn into because Hugh Jackman used it to uh, get ripped when he became the Wolverine. <laughs> so as as superficial and stupid as that sounds, sure. that's how I first heard about it several years ago, and I had been drinking too much beer at the time, and I was like, I need to lose my beer gut. And so I tried this 16 hour a day fast for two weeks. It's basically as simple as not eating for 16 hours. And so after I had dinner, I hit start on my timer on my iPhone. And then I would, my effort went off at 16 hours, which is around noonish the next day, I could eat again. 
And I just lost a bunch of weight doing that. And I was like, wow, this actually kind of works. And uh, then I started reading about the health benefits that, that go along with it. And then uh, just recently, um, coming out in next month's or two months from now's uh, newsletter in the journal, I interviewed um, the trainer, Hugh Jackman's trainer. Ooh. And so he talks about, I, I spent an hour with him and he, he talks about crazy stuff and also intermittent fasting. And so that got me kind of back into it. Awesome. Uh, people's advice for people who are stuck. Just, and I know that you could give many pieces of advice, but you've clearly been stuck at different creatively blocked, uh, I'm trying to throw it all under, not just creative, but just blocked. Um, we can talk about any form of blockage, like help people, because theoretically, if you even just did the numbers, like 50% of the people listening to this are blocked in some way shape or form right now in their lives what, what do you do to get unstuck yeah I, I think that um, the when you try to get unstuck is when you can sometimes get more stuck uh, does that make sense at yeah. all oh for sure because then you're, you're very you're like over you're anxious about the yeah. fact that you're stuck mm -hmm. and then it just like leads to no nothing creative comes out of that and I, and I feel that there was a couple times in my career where I just didn't really know how to break out of that rut. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept the norm, but I allowed myself to do whatever I wanted to do that was different than what I should be doing. Meaning like I was supposed to focus on creative technology things. And instead I went and I learned Fusion 360 so I could make um, furniture. I wanted to learn how to do more woodworking and furniture. And that had nothing to do with my day job. At all. <laughs> At all. But it was just like, I wanted Kevin to- Kevin Rose, carpenter. No, I wanted, to make, I wanted to make a chair. And I'm still working on that chair. It's not done yet. It looks pretty cool. I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, it, it should come out sometime in the next couple of years. So is it fair to say, do something wildly different that wildly you're drawn different. to? Wildly yeah. It could still be creative, but like if you're a writer, like, you know, take up yoga or something completely different, you know? And I've noticed that with Tim and other people yeah. that I've worked with. Like, it's that break, that space that you give yourself that eventually allows that creative process to reboot in your normal life, yeah. you know? I was talking with the designer, Stefan Sagmeister, about um, you know, what's the right number of projects, creative projects. There's some data that says that five is the magic number. And he just said, was five? Like, yeah, five is the magic number of projects. Wow, that seems like a lot. Five, At the same time? Five, that's, yeah, that's the, I just heard this data like two days ago. Five is the right number, seven's too many. And I mean, obviously it decides like, what's the magnitude of a product? Is, is right. a project a chair plus building a billion dollar business? Right. Or right. is it or like- Five billion dollar businesses. It, right, yeah, yeah. it's a five billion dollar business. <laughs> so um, obviously there's a, uh, we've got a sizing issue there. But what I think my experience as a basically a lifelong professional creative is go do something different. Like I'm, when you feel like you're bashing right. your head and it's like 11 o'clock at night and you're like, no, I'm just gonna finish, right, I'm gonna right. push through. You look at that shit the next morning, you're like, that was stupid, that sucked, whatever the work that I outputted there. So just, if you can't afford to drop it and go pick something else, well, A, in that case, you should go to sleep. B, if you can just go to a different project, sometimes even the thing that you were thinking about over here can help that, but what's more than anything beneficial is just something different. Right, totally my experience. Yeah, and you may never go back there too. That's the other thing I realized. <laughs> like, ooh, I'm glad I'm done like, with that. Like, when I was big into dig in social news and how that kind of, you know, evolved and that we had Reddit on the, the long tail of products like take all the categories out, and which was a very smart move, 
Then you had Twitter on the kind of more recency kind of eat away our breaking news lunch and what made us like really substantial on that front. Um, I just realized that like the world had evolved and changed and is going in so many different directions now. It's not worth even tackling again. <laughs> and so like I used to think about that obsessively and I was like, okay, how can I, how can I rework it? How can I change it? And it's like, you know what? How about just I've creatively out? moved on. How about yeah. peace? And yeah. like, like, thank you for being a part of my life for the time that you were with me. And like, I, I hope to see you again someday. You know, and that was uh, that was a nice nice venture. I love it. Uh, I'm gonna put a bow on this. Um, what is something I haven't asked you that you think I should have, or that you'd like to leave the room? Ah, gosh, that's a good. Uh, it's an easy way. It's a cop out for me to end the interview. Is having you end it. Uh, I would say the only thing I would like to end with is that I hope people drink more green tea. Green tea. Couple You're a tea freak, aren't you? you love I do it. drink a lot of coffee, but I, I've gotten back more into tea. Couple, couple times, uh, I do love this. I do love the sauce from time to time. Green tea. What's your favorite? Pu'er? Some like? No, I would say go with a. Some people don't know I'm actually a tea master. A master? I, I got certified. Wow. Of it's course a, you did. One of the other like, what are you gonna do this weekend? Tea master certification. Class. It, it it took it took a little while. I'm not the highest level. I'm only level two. Got it. There's there's three. I'm, there's I'm three not levels. judging, brother. I'll like. like um, You're still a tea master. Recommend one tea. So I would say for people getting started, uh, probably a Sencha tea that you don't oversteep. So many people leave tea bags in for too long, and then all of a sudden you got this like really nasty taste, bitter. And bitter yeah. It's it's game over. So just like a quick thirty to forty five second infusion of like a nice Japanese green Sencha tea is sencha. a good way. Yeah. Spell it. S e n c h a. There you go. Sencha. Cha means tea. Green tea for you all. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Chase Jarvis. This has been uh, an hour and 20 minutes or so. With Thanks for having Rose. me. I'm super grateful. Appreciate You're still it. getting over your thing, so I'm just going to let yeah, you sit over there. It's all good. Thanks a lot for coming. Yep. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.